Welcome to First Time Through. New Eyes on Castle Rock. With Kim Payne. And Otto Mullins. Minisodes. Hi, welcome to First Time Through Minisodes. I'm your host, Otto Mullins. And I'm Kim Payne. And this is our first minisode. Um, we have this intro, and this is not recorded on the same day as the minisode. Sadly, we had a small technical glitch, and we lost the first like six or seven minutes of our minisode, which is, uh, in this time, it was our recap, and it was introducing our uh, guest reader, Kurt Payne, Kim's wife. Or, Kim's wife. <laughs> our guest reader, <laughs> Kurt Payne, Kim's husband. Um, and he has some really great insights, and he really adds a lot to the podcast episode. But he doesn't get a chance to introduce himself. So we wanted to make sure that while this isn't ideal, we wanted to make sure that you got the content that we promised you and you get the chance to see what we're trying to create, at least. Kurt's going to come back for another episode, so he gets a chance to actually be involved in the whole process. And we're it's a little we're a little chagrined that he was the guinea pig for this episode. But he is a good sport. He's incredibly smart and he brings a lot to the episode. Um, so there's my little disclaimer. Kim, do you want to add anything? Uh, nope. Sorry that we had some technical difficulties. We're getting this all figured out. Um, we're really starting because I'm we're starting to transition into some more like remote recording as well. So we're still figuring out all the kinks of that. Okay. So let's, uh, jump into a little recap. Um, we're going to talk about the end of the whole mess today, which is a short story from Nightmares Nightmares and and Dreamscapes. Yeah, it's only about 25 pages long, so I'm going to make the recap super short. Uh, Basically, we have Howard and Bobby Fornoy, and they are both brilliant people. Um, Howard is super smart, reads and writes before he gets to kindergarten, and then Bobby comes along and is one of those once-in-a-lifetime geniuses. He's Um, literally referred to as the messiah of intellect. Yeah, he's compared to Da Vinci and uh, Einstein. So he's super smart. Um, He has discovered a calm quake, and that has become the focus of his life. He Mm -hmm. wants to um, spread this calm quake that he has found that is centered in La Plata, Texas, throughout the whole world. Um, we find out that he has always been very impulsive since he was very young and doesn't really think through the consequences. So they, um, decide to take this calm quake because it is something that they have found in the water and distill the water to make it super concentrated and put it into a volcano that is scheduled to erupt. When said volcano erupts, they are, they've determined that it is going to seed this water all over the planet. And so everybody will be drinking and bathing in this water that has caused this calmness. Uh, what they don't realize when they do it is that it also spreads mental degradation, Alzheimer's-like symptoms. And uh, the story goes into what the consequences are of that. Um, Yeah, I think that's perfect. And I think, too, um, 
Kurt brought up some uh, one really important thing for me that I remember when you were retelling everything to me is that Bobby Fornoy, um, the Messiah, the really the, the genius genius, the top one, he is painfully empathetic to the world. He sees things in the world and it makes him hurt in his heart to the point where he feels he's the one that needs to fix it. And Kurt had brought that up in that. And I think that really set mm-hmm. the stage for why he's going out of it, why he's doing all these big things. Um, so I think that that's important to get back in there. So that way, when you listen to the rest of the, this episode that's coming after this, you know that as well. And I think that the the story that we miss um, because of the technical difficulties that is a great uh, image of Bobby's impulsiveness is when he builds a wooden airplane when he's eight years old uh, and talks Robert into our, yeah. That's not Howard. Right. Howard, Howard talks Howard into um, pushing him, pushing the wagon that he's got it set on down the hill in the park and it launches and takes off and it doesn't have any seatbelt or anything and he gets way up and way high in the air and then doesn't really have all that great of control um, but does finally get it landed and you know, it, through sheer luck, doesn't break something or kill himself. Um, right. So he's just very impulsive and doesn't think about the long-term consequences. Yep. Yeah. I don't think, I think that like everything else, like I just don't want to add too much that like we've already talked about. I wanted to make sure that we had a good segue. And I think that uh, what we recorded is really good. So I'm sorry that we missed the beginning of it. Uh, it'll be one of those things like the Doctor Who Lost episodes. It'll just know we'll know it exists. You'll all know it exists, but it won't be possible. We'll have to make an animated short version of it from what we remember. <laughs> right. Um, but thou. So enjoy the do, rest of the story. Please enjoy it. Starts crying as so many of Bobby's invention situations ended up before, um, and he just says that was life with Bobby. Yeah, and then and he goes on to talk about that not everything Bobby did was that spectacular, but I don't. And then he says, "I don't think anything was, at least until the culminative." Oh, and it's important. The culminative is in. uh, It's a proper noun. It's like capitalized. Yes. You know, but that's that's just he was using the extreme to demonstrate the norm. And then he goes on to tell about the time that Bobby broadcast um, using an old television that he converted into a broadcast, uh, almost a broadcast tower and was telling stupid stories to the neighbors via their TVs because they couldn't tune into anything but WBOB. Um, another just example of the kind of stories or, or the kind of stories about Bobby's genius. And so... He had graduated high school by the age of 10, was attending college courses at Georgetown, uh, never actually graduated from college because by the time it would have mattered, he was too involved in doing other things. Um, And then he took a very transformative trip when he was 15 Mm -hmm. um, or 16. With a, yeah, 16 to South America with a group of anthropologists. Um, and that, that changed his life. One of the things that, that is very important is that 
Bobby's parents, specifically, mostly his mom, have been watching him just kind of bounce from subject to subject and topic to topic and interest to interest, um, which is pretty typical of, of smart kids. But for Bobby, he, he settled, he finally settled on something that actually grabbed his interest. And that was, you know, when he came back from South America, his mom recognized that that was it. He had settled. That was the thing that, that Bobby was going to do. And what Bobby wanted to do was save the world. Mm -hmm. This is in a time frame where they start talking about terrorism creating problems all over the world. And, you know, there was a, a dirty bomb over London and doesn't understand why everybody's just so mean. He doesn't, I mean, he's, I mean, he's young, he's only 16 and, and he's like, there's, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. And so he stumbled onto some information about Waco, Texas. And, and in this story, Waco, Texas seemed to be a place where the violence wasn't as bad for some reason that we the learned later. The rate of violence per capita was lower than anywhere else in Texas, which the way that he has portrayed Texas in this world is that it's basically a good old boys club and everybody's got a gun and they're not afraid to use them. You know, and so he's going to go to Waco and try to figure out why that is. But then they, then they talk about, you know, what is it that, that makes the world so crappy a place? And uh, they have a discussion about that. Um, and so Bobby's going to go figure out why people are so mad or so violent towards each other and try to fix it. So now we're going to come back to where he's come into the apartment with the bees and the wasps. Yeah, and so it's a time jump. It's, what, a couple, three years, three isn't it, years, I think? Yeah. So I'm sure that most of you know the nature of bees versus wasps. Bees are actually, you know, people are afraid of being stung by bees, but, but bees are actually naturally pretty passive. They are not aggressive, and they don't generally sting unless they are startled or provoked or something of this nature because when a bee stings you they're dead um however wasps are horrible they have a smooth stinger and they can sting you and sting you and sting you and sting you um and they they're just poison after three or four stings right. but they can just keep right on poking holes i think was what bobby says right so he brings these these boxes with a, a beehive and a wasp's nest in and you know he he puts his hand down in the beehive and has bees all over him and you know just puts them and then puts them all away you know because he's freaking his brother out because he's got bees out in his apartment um and you know they talk about the nature of, of bees versus wasps and then he he pulls a bottle a jar out of his bag and takes a dropper full of what appears to be water and drops it in the box with the wasp's nest and they wait a few minutes and then he opens the wasp's nest and lets them fly around and basically does the same thing and um, well just before he does that he talks about where this water comes from right and he says it's from this small town 
about 40 miles west or east of Waco um, called La Plata, Texas. And he has taken the water that he found there and concentrated it. So he's got it and, and they're distilling more of it. Um, and so then he, he gives this demonstration by putting this dropper in and says, give it three minutes. Cause I'm pretty sure that I have the, the cure for war. I have the cure for drive-by shootings. I have the cure for the whole mess. So it's like some kind of like calm chemical almost. Well, yeah, the, he, the calmative is what he Yeah, no, it. that's what like makes, that's mm-hmm. where I'm drawing that connection from. Hmm. Yeah, so. So he lets the wasps out and um, Howard kills one and Bobby's like, don't, don't. You might as well be killing babies for all the harm that they're going to do. He tossed the nest, the wasp nest from hand to hand as if it were an overgrown softball, lobbed it in the air. I watched horrified as wasps cruised in the living room of my apartment like fighter planes on patrol. So this is, this is his example, just showing his brother what this water can do and that it calms right. them, but they also don't show any signs of being slow. They're not... They're not bumbling. They're not, they don't act drugged. They're just calm and peaceful and not stinging, which is the exact opposite of the nature of a wasp. And he compares the nature of a wasp to the nature of man. Men, humans, men are just mean and lash out for no reason in so many cases. Right. So. And then I think, too, that just by illustrating that and then saying he has the cure for it, you know, it kind of shows that he is smart enough to have these grand plans for it. He's got these big, grandiose ideas for what he's going to be able to do with it now, too. Right. You know, because from the previous stories, we, we already know that Bobby doesn't do anything small. Right. Um, you know, he, he built an airplane when he was eight. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so he, ta- he starts to talk about Texas again and the fact that for some reason, and he has discovered that it's this water, that the closer you get to, the, to this little town, La Plata, the lower the incidence of violence per capita. And he actually has a, a map that has rings on it that show the incidence uh, over time. Um, and, you know, he gives the example of, of you know, Texas being... Uh, violent place, but not around this area. And then all of a sudden we jump back. Yeah, in the in the widest ring, um, the there's like 471 instances of violence per capita, based on all of these things. And in the center ring, there are five. Uh, so. So here we are. We've got this super peaceful town and he says it's a community of 15,000 24% of which are mixed blood commonly called indios there's a moccasin factory and a couple of little motor courts and a scrub farm that's it for work for play there's four bars a couple of dance halls where you can hear any kind of music you want as long as it sounds like George Jones Uh, two drive-ins and a bowling alley there's also a still so because he says they determined, and this is a little bit, we're, we're a little ahead of this. Um, other people had taken notice of what was going on in Waco, but hadn't figured out what it was. Mm-hmm. And so, as the old saying goes, 
Maybe it was something in the water. And Bobby decides to investigate that. And that's where this he figures all this out about the closer you get to La Plata, the less incidents of violence. And so they start investigating the water itself, right? Mm-hmm. And they find things on a, didn't he say a sub-molecular level? A sub-microscopic level. There you go. Like breaks in chains of atoms, subdynamic electrical fluctuations, and some sort of unidentified protein. Just sciencey uh, so, enough so that way it sounds credible, but not sciencey enough that you have to explain anything in this short story. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I get it. Like, it's good. Uh, well, and also by this point, he's realized just how long it's been since he started writing and, and comments that he's got to speed it up. He's got to keep shortening this down or he's not going to finish the story. Because remember, he injected himself at the beginning of this. And True. he knew that he had anywhere from 45 minutes to two hours, and he's already over an hour into writing the story. So he realizes, I'm going to have to cut this down. I'm going to have to shorten it, or I'm not going to get the story out. Well, um, and then also, this... an interesting side little side piece that I think says a lot about the state of, of Bobby's mind at this time. When he came back with this demonstration to show his brother, he starts calling him Bow Wow. And Howard even says he hasn't called me Bow Wow since he was like six. So it's just this excited like a child because he thinks he's got the solution to fix the world's problems. And he continues to call him Bow Wow for a while until he starts to calm back down um, and get into the depth of his discussion of of what's going on or what he thinks he can do with it. I also just saw... Here too, sorry to cut you off, that there's in this little foreshadowing bit where he talks about the sheriff of the town who has mm-hmm. looks like he has first stage Alzheimer's first disease. Stage mm-hmm. But he didn't think anything of it at the time. Yeah, that's so good. That's some really great foreshadowing. Yeah. Yet. Um, and so as it goes on, uh, his idea is uh, that protein, the only other place that it's found is in the human brain. And so he latches onto that as the solution. You know, it's this protein in the water that is the reason that it has this calming effect. So it's it's at this point we take a jump forward um, back to uh, the present time. Present time where Howard starts talking about the fact that he's noticing the physical effects of the injection that he took, and so he's he's got throat dryness and is realizing that he's got to speed the story up. He can't continue to tell the long, the long version of the story or he's not going to get it done. Uh, and so uh, he talks about the still that they've got in La Plata that is distilling the water into a concentrated, concentrated form. Um, and, and Bobby's grand plan to save the world is to seed this water in a volcano near Borneo that is projected to erupt in the next within the next year and not really erupt but more explode like like Krakatoa which they know when Krakatoa had its huge blowout um, it spread seeds and uh, debris all over the planet because after that they found things in places where they didn't ever exist before uh, foliage specifically in places where it had never existed before um, 
so they know that there was debris from that everywhere. And this was projected to be that big or potentially bigger. So Bobby's crazy idea is to put this concentrated water into this volcano so that when it explodes, it distributes this water concentrate throughout the whole world. So everybody's going to be, rain, you know, when it rains on you, when you take a shower, when you drink the water, you're going to be bathing in it and, and walking in it and drinking it and everything. So you're going to ingest this peace water, the calmative. But they only have a, a limited amount of time to get this ramped up, the production up to what it needs to be to have enough water to do this because it is set to go off in October and I don't remember the time frame, but it's only less than six months, isn't it? They said it could be up to a year. Okay. But anyway, they've got to get, they've just got a really oh, short Oh, October of frame. next year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he says, you know, the crazy thing is the story's only crazy if you tell it fast because they I mean, believe they had to raise a bunch of money. It's still pretty wild when you tell it. Like, I feel like if you took the time and slowed it down and you were trying to tell me you were going to put water in a volcano to make everyone on earth calm. I'd still be like, okay, buddy, let's find you a place to go and talk to someone. <laughs> right. right. But, but he had already, you know, he's talking to his brother who's known him his whole life and knows that, you know, while it may sound crazy to me and you, Bobby has a track record. Right. Well, and, and we, we kind of skipped over this when he's telling the, the plane story earlier, but when Bobby came into his room at eight years old and tells Howard, I've made an airplane... It even says, Howard says, I knew Bobby too well at that moment than to call BS on this. <laughs> he said, I just went with it. And so I think that was, again, another... Establishing literary, moment. Right. A moment to set up that he's not going to call BS on this. It's his brother, Bobby, who... Has just... proven over and over again that that's what he can do. And so they raise a bunch of money so that they can get this water distillery going faster and then transport the water to the to the volcano. Um, you know, they get it set up to, to go up the, the side of the volcano and drop it in. It says we did all of this in just eight months. Man, Okay, that so is, it was eight months. Okay, that's fast though. Especially yeah. for that entire plan to go down. So, and then Bobby, and then Howard says, Bobby, you're crazy, as he's telling him this plan. Bobby, mm -hmm. you're crazy. And Bobby says, I'm not crazy. You want to see crazy? Turn on the news. You'll see crazy. That's true. It's and so some things changed. never change, <laughs> right? So we go on, and and Howard says, "My gears are starting to get a little sticky." Howard actually brings up the fact you don't know what the long-term effects of this are. He says you don't have the slightest idea, and don't suggest that you do because you don't. You haven't had time. You found the calm quake of yours and you've isolated the cause, but did you ever think about thalidomide? You know, the acne stopper that caused cancer? Or what about the AIDS vaccine in 1997 that cured, that stopped the disease, but it turned them into incurable epileptics that died within 18 months? And so he, he talks about, Howard actually brings up, we don't know the long-term effects of this. And Bobby says, Howard, the world, the world needs this. It needs heroic measures. I don't know about long-term effects and there's no time to study them because there is no long-term prospect. You know, 
and I think that like that kind of shows the youngness, the like this like childlike aspects that he still has almost. You know that there's no long term game plan. Everything is there's, short and instant. Right, and and no forethought. Which is, you know, we come back to the airplane and, you know, there was no forethought of the consequences of, you know, if it did work, how was he going to land it? Because it didn't have any landing gear and it didn't even have a seatbelt. And, you know, the, the TV as a broadcast uh, tool, you know, there's FCC regulations. His dad had to pay a fine. He doesn't have, he's got the intelligence but he doesn't have the wisdom well, to, that's his age to see the, mm-hmm. the long-term big picture. But in this case, he even he does go on to say, maybe we can cure the whole mess, or maybe, or maybe we're just giving heroin to a patient with terminal cancer. Either way, it will stop what's happening now. It will end the world's pain. And then he says, just help me, Bow Wow. Please help me. And we did. And we messed up big time. Is anybody reading this? That's Danny a. Goes on. Sorry, I love that I one. No, 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 that's that great. I love that sentence at the end there too. Are you reading this? Just yeah. kind of like very ominously, like it almost tells you like the author is in there for sure, and he's just hoping that he hasn't messed up everything bad, like so badly well, that nothing's going to get better. That, that, right. He hopes that there's somebody to read this in the future. Right. But then he talks about. You know, yeah. my gears are getting a little sticky. I'm sorry, I just didn't want you to, to miss that part. Um, and that he's having trouble, start, he's starting to have trouble writing. Right. So he, he, you know, he abbreviates, he says, so we did the things, we moved it in, we seeded the volcano. Um, and, you know, it ended up costing, he said, uh, Bobby suggested that it would cost six hundred thousand or a million to a million and a half dollars. In the end, it ended up costing over four million. Um, still less than a sixteenth of one percent of what America spent on defense that year. And it's right here that we start to see a beautiful piece of literary work, right. where you start to see in his writing the effects that his brain is having the fact that he cannot think clearly anymore right because, because he, he talks to about misspell words yes he's got the right word do you want to know how he raised it but instead of r-a-i-s-e-d it's r-a-z-e-d right okay yeah, yeah. I had more time t-h-y-m-e but it, it and it, it as we go it gets worse and worse until it's almost unintelligible mm-hmm. right and it's interesting too, since you know we're we know he's writing it by hand or on a typewriter or whatever. He's on a typewriter, yeah. Right. So it's he's maybe he's not even realizing that he's like getting it wrong, and he's just yeah. going through it and he's doing it like subconsciously. And right, because so, he's a writer, so it, you know typing on a typewriter is a muscle memory thing. Right. So it's <laughs> interesting too, because he eventually notices and stops, and then he even writes in wait. And it's like he's telling the typewriter in the audience, like, "Wait a second. And okay. I just think that that's I'm a go fun take moment. Some medicine. Yeah. He, well, right. And then he gives himself uh, an in, an injection of uh, digitalin, something to um, slow down the effects. Well, isn't it a isn't that a like a an upper I that kind of so. speeds everything up so that he can? He's just trying to go, get get enough time, buy enough time to get the 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 story out. And so at this point. The uh, 
the the explosion goes off it happened and all of a sudden everybody got healthy again yeah everybody get together right now like the old young blood song you know there was all of a sudden everybody was peaceful and everybody was getting along and everything was great and then his writing gets worse and worse it's getting real bad it's super interesting yeah. but he says i mean everybody stood down everybody started to get a little perspective on the situation the world started to get like the wasps um there were three years like an indian summer you know, you know it's, it just it's getting worse and worse and then he gets to the end of that paragraph and says wt wait, wait and he does it again um, feels like my heart is coming through my ears now, but if I concentrate, I can get this done. Um, and then Bobby went on with his research and continued looking into things. You remember that local sheriff? Yeah, how Bobby said he had the pre preliminary symptoms of Rodney's disease? And then he tells himself to concentrate. <laughs> and it wasn't just him. Turned out there was a lot of that in that part of Texas. All Hallows disease is what I mean. Obviously, he's talking about Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's, yeah. Um, and they continued to investigate and realized that when you overlay the incidence of Alzheimer's in younger people, it matched up almost exactly with the map of the lower incidence of violence in that portion of Texas. Man. And... And now they have spread this water, seeded this water all over the world. All right, so he gives himself one more shot. He says, all right, last time. Heart beating so fast I can hardly breathe. He still can't, he's still not fully able to concentrate because in the very first sentence he has a typo. And then we get to the point where, as they realize that this is a real, real problem and they start to see it happening, they start to take very strong precautions, only drinking bottled water, uh, or Perrier water, um, you know, protecting themselves when it rains. Um, and then they go to their family's cabin in, in the mountains or the woods. Or in North Carolina. North Carolina. Um, and Bobby says bow wow i'm sorry i made the whole world let's see if i'm going to try to read this the way mm -hmm. it's written um i'm sorry i made the whole world full of foals and dumbbells i said better foals and dumb and bells than a big black cinder in spaz and he cried and i cried bobby i love you he said will you give me a shot of the special special water and i said yes and he said will you ride it down and I said yes and I think I did but I can't really remember I see words but don't know what they mean I have a Bobby his name is brother and I seen I am done riding I have a box to put this into that's Bobby said full of quiet air to last a million years so mm -hmm. good boy good boy every brother I'm going to stop. Good boy, Bobby. I love you. It was not your fault. I love you. Forgive you. Love you. So, basically, we're, we're watching the last words of a dying man who cannot keep his mental faculties together and trying to tell the last little bit of how the world ended, at least in his view, 
you know, their hope is that maybe somebody will read this later, but... I think his biggest hope is that in the future, people won't see his brother as a bad person. Yeah. It, like, I, think I, th- I think that's all it is. I think that's all it is. The point is. of his telling you know, the story just, is, you know, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't trying to do this. He, he wanted to make everything to good. The world. He wanted to make yeah. everything good, but he didn't have the foresight to be able to see the long-term effects. Yeah. Because that's who he was as a person. He was just impulsive. It's a really, really good story. I like that a lot. Um, I really feel like at this point now, I'm starting to get this theme of uh, impulsive, smart young men in Stephen King's writing. You know, men that feel like they're passionate and they're smart and they're able to do these things, but they don't exactly think of the consequences later on in life. I do think the the unwilling to or unable to see consequences of their actions is definitely a theme right. that, that you see in, in Stephen King. But, but I'm not sure that I agree with the young, impulsive men because I'm thinking of the books that you guys have read so far. And, and you know, Paul Sheldon's not a young man. But he's um, impulsive and doesn't think through the consequences of drinking two bottles of champagne is, and driving into a snowstorm. I guess, yeah, I guess for me, it's more of a, I think that, I see Stephen King in these moments when he's writing. Because I just looked up, too, this one was written in 86, this story Mm -hmm. originally. And so for me, it's finding these things that we're reading when he was younger um, make me feel like he's being introspective of the time when he was in his 20s. Well, I think think that that's true of most writers, is that mm -hmm. you're going to see pieces of them in everything they write. Um, Because you you, you you only write what you know. I think the and biggest right from a from a certain perspective. And, and another thing, you know, in '86, he was in the throes of serious drug addiction. So, you know, I think that maybe there was part of him that saw himself falling apart too. You know, like and what? he was like trying Howard to do good at the end. He was trying to do the right things. He was trying to take care of his family. He was trying to, you know, keep producing work faster than any other author ever. Um, but he was also killing himself. <laughs> um, I think that's a really, really brilliant insight, Kim. I think that's, you know, you talk about why are people writing what they write when they write it. And in this case, I think that's a really good, a really good connection of, of what was going on in his life at that time. And, it, and, and you can look through a lot of the short stories. Um, oh, what I was going to say, Kurt, after that, all of, uh, I really think that, like, that's one of my favorite things, too, like you're talking about, is one of the things that I really enjoyed when we started doing Misery and, like, finding those connections or or of where Stephen King was at when he was writing the piece. You know, what was going on inside the author's brain is something that, you know, we don't get to see it all that often. Whereas Stephen King, we've pretty much, his life is pretty much told on our bookshelves. And we just have to be diligent enough to read it. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really fair point. And I, I think we can do that with, with a lot of authors. Um, I just don't know enough authors that, for me at least, that I like that I've read, that have written this much, you know? That well, are, and that's, the, yeah, I mean, I know Kim and I both, I'm not quite the uber fan that Kim is, but I have read almost everything. There's some, a few of the newer things that I haven't read yet. Um, 
but I've read almost everything Stephen King has written, uh, at least his fiction. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and and I, I am a big fan. Uh, like I said, probably not to the level that Kim is, because she's read everything probably multiple times. But um, Including the nonfiction. <laughs> <laughs> including the nonfiction. Um, um, I have a question real quick. Kim, why did you pick this one for Kurt? Um, because I thought that it... W- First of all, I love the story, right, and we right, just right. got done with the stand, which was one telling of the end of the world, and we're we just start got through the gunslinger, which is another telling of the world moving on the end of the slash the end of the world, and here we are. This is another story about the end of the world, um, you know, and in a in a pretty short time frame. I mean, the stand was written in the mid seventies, um, the gunslinger was written, and then rewritten um but it was published in the early 80s but we're gonna go you know it was written over a span of time and then rewritten again um like 30 years later but then this one was written in the mid 80s so in in a pretty short time span we've got three different points of view from the same person of the end of the world I think it's too. Plus, I think she. I don't know if she realized this when she was picking it, consciously, but I know she knows subconsciously that this is one of my favorite short stories. The first of all, the Nightmares and Dreamscapes is probably my favorite short story collection. I really like this this collection. This is one of my top short stories. Period. I love this story very, very much. Yeah, and I tried to when when I picked the the first few short stories that we're doing here. I I had because they're all assigned to people that I know really well. Um, I tried to pick things that I thought would appeal to things that they really enjoyed. And I knew that Kurt liked this story. And like Dolan's Cadillac, I picked for my father-in-law because I feel like that's gonna be right up his alley. Um, I think he's really gonna enjoy that story. and you the know, interesting thing about him is he is not a Stephen King fan. He's he is actually, not at all, but he's listening to us, and, and he actually bought The Gunslinger to read along with us. So my I mom, feel like he will read some of the books, but not all of them. He's just my, not, he's not a big fan of, of horror, and he's not a big fan of, of uh, supernatural influence in the stories he reads. Um, he's a voracious reader. Um, but hasn't read a lot of Stephen King, and so we're actually encouraging him uh, and and trying to trying to give him things that we think he might be interested in. To that will hit that realism, like sci-fi aspect, instead of the right. supernatural aspect. Right. Yes. And I think Stephen King does a really good job of like the sci-fi aspect, much better than people give him credit for. Well, and the suspense, and we haven't gotten to him yet, but he's a real, well, I guess we have kind of a little with, with later, but he's a really great mystery writer, too. Um, no, I'm really enjoying later. He became famous as a writer of horror, and therefore he became pigeonholed as a writer of horror, but he is, his, he is... His catalog is really diverse. Yes. It's, it's not just horror. And that's some. I mean, I will say that I will beat that horse until it's dead. Because <laughs> people pigeonhole him, and he is not just a horror writer. And I will say that until I am purple, because people don't believe me. I'm like, no, no, read something. Uh, so I, I again just tried to pick things that I thought would 
hook people's attention. And I know that, like, Tess hasn't read the story that I've asked that I've asked for her to read, and I know that Darwy hasn't read any of them. So, you know, the one that I have pulled aside for her to read, I think she's really going to enjoy as well. So, you know, just just trying to sh share my passion for it, and and doing so in such a way that it is something that will actually be interesting to the reader. Um, and I know that as we invite other people to read, that may get trickier. But uh, it's but a brilliant plan because that's how you trapped me in all of this. So right? we're slowly, <laughs> we're slowly going to get all of them. We're going to pull them all in one by we're gonna one. We're going to pull them all in one by one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to just say one last thing about the writing style of this. Kurt mentions it too. Um, like he's just, this is the moment he said was just brilliant literary like and this is if I was to encourage you to read this story for one piece it is at the end the last two and a half pages that it is the spacing and it is the formatting it is the spelling like Kurt was illustrating the word structures the in and out the shifting of the perspective to when he's telling the story to when he's not telling the story to when the Alzheimer's starts to take effect and it all becomes first person it's really really well done and I'm probably gonna sit here and read it after we're done recording right now and and the the spacing and the the they're not really chapter breaks per se but again it kind of calls back to misery where he's just you can see by the way he's writing that he's in, or by the way he's got it spaced out that he's not having fully coherent thoughts well and e each of those breaks shows a change whether it's a change in the whether he's telling, you know, the, the old story or what's happening right now. Right. You know, there's a reason for the break or, you know, I've got to stop here and give myself another shot or I'm not going to make it through this. Whatever it is, there's a reason for there to be a break there. Does it make sense if I say sometimes I take the page breaks as book commas and then chapter breaks are periods? Uh, yes, that absolutely really, makes yeah, sense. Yeah, does that make sense? That's, okay. Yeah, that's a really great take on that. And, um, and I think that that's a great way to illustrate those pauses. Yeah, you know, take a breath, reset, think about what you just read, and get prepared to keep going. Right. But the right. period, you need to stop and, uh, like, you know, think about what you just read, really, like, and absorb it because there's an important yeah. point you just got. Which um, is why this story is, is one continuous story with some... It's like one long run-on sentence. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it almost feels like, you know, he's, you feel like he's writing, you know, he's writing it from a typewriter, but it feels like it could have just been him like in an audio recording. Right. Yeah. Um, I agree. Yeah. Well, um, thank you so much, Kurt, for coming and reading this story with us. Well, thanks for inviting me guys. It's, this has been fun and I hope I get to do it again sometime. And that's the plan. We got to do one now. Like I was just telling Kurt when we were off air, uh, I would like to do another one with him where I actually get to read the story and we get involved in the conversation that way. Um, <laughs> right. I, yeah, I, I, it was an interesting experiment for me to not read the story consciously, and that was a purpose choice that I did all on my own, you know, made that choice. It wasn't an accident, and uh, I didn't like it, so we're not going to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for joining us for our mini-sode here. I we'll be am, back in a couple of weeks. I'm Otto Mullins. And I'm Kim Payne. And I'm Kurt Payne. Kim, since this is the mini, so do you do the, uh, we hope you enjoyed your first time through. Oh, wait, no. Hold on. Before we do that, um, we got to do the, um, 
on Wednesdays, don't forget to check us out on Patreon for our exclusive um, commentary episodes of uh, movies and TV screenings. On Thursdays, we have new episodes coming out everywhere on where you can listen to podcasts. And Monday, every other Mondays, we're going to be having mini episodes. Yeah. And this upcoming week on Wednesday, you can expect the second episode of um, The Stand, or the third episode, I guess, now of The Stand commentary. And then on Thursday, we're going to be covering Stephen King's brand new book later, which is really exciting because it's going to be a first time through for Kim and I. I'm looking forward to that because it's, it's neat. I've always it's enjoyed also- listening to your first time through, but no, I'm excited. Kim's first time through is going to be neat. I'm really excited about it, too. Also... If you haven't had a chance, Kurt, later is really, really good. And I just, uh, I'm about three quarters of the way through it. And there's this really fun part where there's just this direct reference to it. And uh, it was just like, it really took me by surprise. And I was not expecting it. I'm definitely going to read it. I just was waiting for Kim to finish it so she could prepare. That makes (laughs) sense. All right, you guys. Um, Okay, let's do the outro again. I'm Otto Mullins. And I'm Kim Payne. And I'm Kurt Payne. And this was our first time through the end of the whole mess from Nightmares and Dreamscapes. And we hope you enjoyed your first time through. Thank you. Otto, Kim, that was incredibly interesting. Great job today. If you would like to support First Time Through, you can follow us on Facebook, like us on Twitter, or send us an email at firsttimethroughpodcast at gmail.com. You can also become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash through to get exclusive early access, to get exclusive videos, and to become our exclusive friends. If that's interested to you, I'm interested. First Time Through, New Eyes on Castle Rock, is produced by Empty Theater Productions, is created by Kim Payne and Otto Mullins, editing by Otto Mullins, music by Jason Rager, Art by Kurt Payne at Who Knew Art.